Welcome back to another Adam Schefter podcast. We are now coming out of week five, headed into week six. And as we head into week six, we are going to be joined by the broadcaster and now author, Kenny Albert, who has a book coming out today as we record this Tuesday, October 10th, called A Mic for All Seasons, My Three Decades, Announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics with forwards by Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier. Kenny Albert is a decorated broadcaster who spent his life around sports, son of broadcasting legend Marv Albert, and he has a great story to tell and a wonderful book that he's written that's now out, and he will be here today to talk about some of his experiences writing the book and in broadcasting. But first, with my colleague and friend, Daniel Dopp, the host of the Fantasy Focus podcast, The Weekly Six-Pack. All right, Adam, starting the six-pack off. It's a seltzer. It's a seltzer. Calm down. It's a morning seltzer, guys. But I thought we had to kick it off the right way here, Adam. (laughs) Here's my question to you, the first one for the six-pack. Obviously, we saw, unfortunately, Justin Jefferson pulled up with a hamstring injury late in the game here in week five. Is there a chance that we're going to see Justin Jefferson potentially miss time? This is going to be huge, not just for the Vikings, for fantasy managers, for the NFL across the board. What's the latest on Justin Jefferson? Well, first of all, they are going to place him on IR. And they were debating that all day yesterday. And they knew Monday that he was missing time. And they like to play around with the truth there. But that's another story, Daniel, that we'll save for another day. The fact of the matter is he's going to miss at least four games. And here's the question I have. They're one in four right now, correct? Yep. Okay. They're now without their best weapon, correct? Yep. Let's just say they're one and seven, one and eight, or let's say they're two and seven or one and eight. And Justin Jefferson, who didn't do a contract extension this summer, is ready to come back, but they're out of the playoff hunt. What is the incentive for Justin Jefferson to come back, hypothetically, if the team stinks? That's a great question, Adam. This is something that actually we talked about during the fantasy marathon when we were talking about guys being able to get deals sooner rather than later so that teams can lock them up, make sure that they're a part of the future. What do you do if you're the Minnesota Vikings? Because there's also been rumors around the whole, is Kirk Cousins going to get traded? And I know he has a no trade clause, not sure how that would work out. But if, if the Vikings really are that bad, why bring back the young superstar that's going to be the face of your franchise for the next 10 years when know. you could play it Forget safe? about them bringing it back, Daniel. It's going to be him. It's oh. him. Okay? It's not them. You got it wrong, Daniel. It's <laughs> him. Okay? Okay, okay? He gets to decide when he's ready. Remember Indianapolis this summer? Jonathan Taylor, his ankle didn't feel right. Mm. He didn't feel capable of playing. Oh, contract signed? I'm ready to go Sunday. Okay, and there's a business component to this because Justin Jefferson is arguably the best wide receiver in football. And you're talking about a deal, in my mind, worth north of 30 million dollars a year. So why are you going to go risk your health and your future when your team is not playing good football, not playing winning football? So they say four weeks. I'm just telling you (laughs) that the potential exists for it to be longer. Maybe they do keep it competitive and win and make it such that he's a competitive guy. He wants to be there for his team, but he's also 
got to be smart about his future. So if the Vikings take care of their business, yes, then we could see Justin Jefferson again. But if they don't take care of their business in these four games, all I'm saying is the potential exists for this to be prolonged. Yikes. Nobody wants that. I'm sure the Minnesota Vikings do not want that. Next four games, Chicago Bears, San Francisco 49ers, Green Bay Packers, Atlanta Falcons, right. Adam. So, okay. Like maybe we could get through that. Maybe, yeah, we, we, we could figure that one out. All right. Let's move ahead and talk about the Miami Dolphins. Adam, they've put up more points than literally any other team in the NFL right now. It's like Mike McDee put together a Madden franchise out there. It is just speed after speed after speed at all the skill position spots. And for me, that starts with Devon Achan. This kid came out of nowhere. He's mm -hmm. looked fantastic as a rookie. What is it that we know? I know that he got banged up a little bit. Am I assuming that we're going to be able to see him here in week six? Because this Dolphins team is so good with him out there. No, I don't expect him to play this week. And we'll see as we record this at Tuesday, 8 a.m. Basically, he's getting a second opinion today, Tuesday, that will determine whether or not he needs to go on injured reserve. But it's going to be multiple weeks. That second opinion will go a long way. But they're going to be without HN here for at least a few weeks, Daniel. Well, that sucks, Adam. That's not what I wanted to hear. No, especially as a fantasy manager. None of us wanted that. But can't do anything about it. All right, let's move ahead and talk about the San Francisco 49ers. Again, made a deal. I read recently, Adam, to get Randy Gregory from the Dallas Cowboys. And this is not the first deal that we've seen over the last little bit. We saw J.C. Jackson get traded. We saw Chase Claypool get traded to the Miami Dolphins. What's going on right now in the NFL where we're having a bunch of guys sort of get moved around right now for lower-level draft picks? Well, you know what's interesting is that any team now can say, we're going to release this player. And so before they even release a player, they get to put it out there that the guy is being released, so he's available. So that leads to these trades where you trade the player and a future seventh-round pick for a sixth-round pick. So the team gains an advantage of moving up one round, which is more than they would get by releasing the guy. And sure. they could say, we traded the guy, and they move on from the guy. And that's what happens. And we may see more of it, where there are these reports that, oh, we've decided to release Daniel Dopp. And then all of a sudden, I get a call from Field Yates. And he wants to trade for Daniel Dopp. And I trade a seven and Daniel Dopp for a six. Like, that could happen later today, Daniel. That's how it feels like it's been working. I've never seen so many 2025 sixth and seventh rounders get traded before. That's it's what's going on there. It's advertising that the guy is being released. Team says, you know what? We'll give you a ham sandwich for that guy. That's it. Yeah. And there you go. <laughs> But, Adam, a team that could use a trade right now with how bad they've been playing is the New England Patriots. I mean, Mac Jones does not look good. You saw Christian Gonzalez, their promising young rookie, unfortunately out for a while. What is the state of the New England Patriots? Because it looks bad right now as a fan. Well, it is bad. Bill Belichick's coming off the worst two losses of his career. People in New England are very impatient. And the fact that people are openly mulling Bill Belichick's future, I think, tells you everything you need to know. We're talking about arguably the greatest coach in NFL history, and people are wondering whether he and the Patriots will be together, stay together, how long he'll be there. I heard an audio tape last night of Patriot fans railing on the organization, railing on Bill Belichick, railing on everybody. You know, here's the deal, Daniel. Everybody there, aged 30, 35 and under, they're spoiled. 
They've yeah. never gone through a season like Prime this. Crimea River. They don't understand that this used to be a regular occurrence in New England these types of years. They never won anything until Bill Belichick and Tom Brady came along. And then yep. they became spoiled. And now they know what it's like for all those people who are Jets fans or Browns fans or fans of various teams like the Lions who are now winning, right? So this is life in the NFL, New England. Yep. You have more rings than anybody to enjoy and celebrate. But if you are 35 years old or younger, sorry that you've enjoyed nothing but success. Welcome to the National Football League and how it works. Thank you, Adam. That's all that I wanted to hear. As a Lions fan that has dealt with this for 30 years, be thankful for all the winning that you got. This is part of how it works in the NFL. You don't get to be dominant for 25 years straight and things never change. Like this is this is part of what the NFL is. So I, I appreciate you saying that. All right. We got two more here. What have we learned, Adam, from squeaky wheels being able to get some more pass catching work here in the NFL? AJ Brown. Looked a little slow the first couple weeks. Had a big conversation with Jalen Hurts. Looked fantastic the last couple weeks. Jamar Chase, the same thing with Joe Burrow. Looks fantastic after a three-touchdown performance on 19 targets in week five. Is this a thing that we're going to start seeing more often? Is wide receivers going to their quarterbacks saying, hey, I am always open just like Jamar Chase. Please always throw me the ball too. Well, here's the deal. As soon as A.J. Brown said that, a couple of weeks back, going into that Monday night game, I knew he was going to have a huge night. Oh, yeah. Okay. And I was with a friend on Sunday. We were talking about fantasy. And I said to him Sunday morning, and you could ask, Jamar Chase is the biggest lock on the board. The easiest thing you could slate in today. He is going to have a monster day. In fact, I could show you the text. I said 8-133-2, as in eight catches, 133 yards, two touchdowns. He had that by what, half almost? Yes, yeah. Okay, so I was a little (laughs) low. I thought 8-1-33-2, he greatly exceeded it. But the week before, he was saying he's 7-11, open all the time. And lo and behold, we get the performance that we did. Here's the lesson in all that, Daniel. Next time there's a great wide receiver who's complaining about not getting the football enough, put him in your fantasy lineup that next week. There's the lesson, okay? I'm just telling you right now, (laughs) they're giving you money like by putting them into your DFS lineup. That's right. Dude, this is where it's all about because you finally have these superstar guys that are like, hey, man, I I can help this team win. I'm with you on this one. So I am always in on these superstar wide receivers saying, hey, let me make sure that I get the ball a little bit. By the way, I want to put it out there so we can speak it into existence. I need a little more Jalen Waddle and Devonta Smith in my life, Adam Schefter. I get we're getting a lot of A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill right now, but I need a little bit more from those two as well. And there is this week's weekly six-pack while Daniel enjoyed his morning seltzer today. And from the six-pack, we go on to a man whose new book, A Mic for All Seasons, comes out today, Tuesday, October 10th. He is a three-time National Sports Emmy Award finalist, the only play-by-play broadcaster currently calling all four major sports in North America as only an Albert Ken, the distinguished, the illustrious, author and broadcaster, Kenny Albert. Have we ever met before? I'm not sure that we've ever met in person. I'm at a game every Sunday. You're in the studio. You're at various games. So this might be the first time officially. 
Yeah, I'm obviously well familiar with your work, but I don't believe that I've ever met you before. I, I think you're correct. We've texted, we've emailed, we have a lot of mutual friends, but I think this is the first, even though we're over Zoom, first face-to-face. -face <laughs> well, it's an honor to be with you. Uh, great to be with you. Big fan for many years. Love your work. And uh, here we are. And likewise, and it takes you writing a book called A Mike for All Seasons, My Three Decades, announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics with forwards by Wayne Gretzky and Walt Clyde Frazier. You couldn't get anybody bigger than that, Kenny, to write the forwards? No, I tried for a couple of bigger names, but they, they rejected me. So I had okay. to go with those two. What was the process of writing a book like? What made you want to do that? So I always feel like I have a lot of stories that, that people enjoy hearing. I speak at broadcasting camps, high school classes, college classes, several times throughout the year. And the kids always ask great questions about the business, about getting into either play-by-play -play or a job behind the scenes. And I wind up giving similar answers every time I, I speak to the students. And uh, they also ask questions about, What's your favorite sport? Tell me about your different color analysts. What's the hardest sport to broadcast? What's the difference between radio and television, play-by-play? -play? So they ask great questions, and I wind up boring myself a little bit because I'm always answering them in the same way, but um, really enjoy uh, paying it forward and, and passing uh, the knowledge along to, to youngsters who would like to get into the business. So for many, many years, I, I thought about writing a book. Uh, my family, my wife and daughters have uh, also been big proponents of it. And really during the pandemic, when I came home from a game in Denver, a hockey game in March of 2020, and subsequently spent the next 146 days at home, uh, as most of us did, uh, before leaving for the hockey bubble in Edmonton that August, um, I really uh, started uh, putting together an outline writing some sample chapters, portions of chapters. And I had been contacted about 10 or 12 years ago by a book agent out of Manhattan by the name of Andrew Blount or Blounder Books. And he's a big sports fan and uh, wound up uh, emailing me one day. And, and he said, if you ever have any interest in doing a book, let me know. Maybe I can help. So I got back in touch with Andrew during the pandemic, the early days in 2020. And uh, he started shopping it around to some publishers and Triumph Books out of Chicago. Uh, they've published books by a number of my colleagues, Doc Emmerich, Eddie Olchek, and several others. And uh, they they signed up. They they were on board. And, um, you know, from that point, I took a manila folder and I just started writing down keywords, uh, just reminders of certain games, trips, um, travel tales, uh stories about color analysts or um, a, a fake arrest set up by Barry Trotz, the longtime NHL coach who was my roommate during our minor league days. Uh, that's one of the stories in the book. Uh, as a prank, they had me, quote, arrested in Sydney, Nova Scotia when we got off a plane. Uh, there's a story about a, 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 an interview that I did with Michael Bloomberg on Fox. Well, the interview wasn't on Fox. I was working the Yankee Red Sox came seven in 2003 uh, as the sideline reporter and I handled the post-game interviews and uh, I threw it back up to Joe Buck and Tim McCarver after the ceremony of the Yankee clubhouse it was the, the Aaron Boone home run game and extra innings to uh, defeat the Red Sox. And I get done interviewing Joe Torre and Mariano Rivera and some of the Yankee ownership group and throw it back upstairs. And then they threw it to the late local news. 
and I see Mayor Bloomberg out of the corner of my eye and his PR person com- comes up to me and says, can you interview the mayor next? And I said, well, we, I'd love to, but we're off the air. We went to the news and he said, can you fake it? So I did a five minute fake interview that never went anywhere with Mayor Bloomberg. So those are just a couple of the stories, but I felt like I had a lot to tell uh, from broadcasting all four of the major sports, uh, NFL 30 years now, NHL 30 plus years, uh, Major League Baseball, NBA Olympics. So there were a lot of stories out there. And then 2021 and 22 is when I really did the bulk of it. Um, did not use a ghostwriter. I, I was talked, wondering that. I talked to a couple of writers, but ultimately I did a lot of writing in high school and college and I enjoyed it, sports writing. And I just felt like it was my, it's my stories, my voice. I wanted it to be my words. So, you know, I learned a lot about the process as we moved along. Um, you know, I know you're an expert, obviously, in, in this area of journalism, but at one point, a couple of summers ago, I had a lot of it done, but it was 12 or 13 separate chapters. And I realized I have to kind of merge it together and uh, you need a beginning, a middle and an end. And I, I found a lot of redundancies that I had to go edit. The, the whole editing process was, was um, you know, I learned a lot um, just as far as you go back and read it for the 10th or 15th time and you find spelling errors, grammatical errors that I missed uh, over the last several months prior. So um, just so exciting to see it in print, though. I got the first copies about three weeks ago and we've had a private friends and family event. We have some other events coming up. So uh, just so excited. They did a great job with the cover. I have really kind blurbs from a number of uh, people in the business that I've either worked with or worked for or uh in peers up through the years so really couldn't be more excited there are so many places i want to go with this like do i start with the book do i start with your upbringing do i start with the advice that you give to children who want to grow up and become like kenny albert uh let's start with the advice that you give to kids the people that want to be in this business what is your message that you've delivered time and time again the biggest message is uh do as much as you can i was real fortunate in high school and Port Washington, Long Island, Paul D. Schreiber High School. I covered the the sports teams for the for the town paper, the Port Washington News, for the uh, school paper, the Schreiber Times. Starting in seventh grade, I wrote for the Port wow. News. So um, I was always around the fields and the gyms. And in tenth grade, August, uh, sorry, January of nineteen eighty four, um, a small cable station, Cox Cable of Great Neck, by total coincidence shows up at my school to film a girls' basketball game. And the athletic director introduced me to the producer, uh, the late Roy Menton, and they clipped a microphone on my shirt. They didn't have announcers. They had two cameras and a production van. I sat in the third row behind the team bench, announced the game. Everyone around me probably thought I was nuts talking to myself, but I actually had a microphone on. And I spoke to Roy the next day, and he gave me the opportunity over the next two and a half years uh, – throughout high school to broadcast probably 75 to 100 sporting events, high school, basketball, football, baseball, hockey, soccer, lacrosse. And we also did games, college games, the U.S. Merchant Marine Academy in Kings Point, yeah, uh, which is part of Great Neck on Long Island. Um, so I was doing Division three high school games, Divi- Division three college games during my high school years. And it was an unbelievable experience because back then in the 80s, Kids didn't really have the opportunity to do this until college. So I felt like I had a three-year head start. I brought friends along as color analysts. And 
the advice that I give to high school and college students these days, whether it's doing the public address announcement at school, in high school, many high schools now have broadcasting programs. They stream the football or basketball games online and sometimes use students as broadcasters. In college, radio stations, TV stations, podcasts. Uh, when I was at NYU, we had a fight with the music department just to put the basketball games on the air on the radio. This was pre-internet. These days, you can go do a soccer game and, and put it out there on the web or or a volleyball match. So, um, and, and the other thing I tell them is there are so many jobs out there aside yeah. from the folks that you see or hear. When you watch an NFL game on a Sunday, I was in Green Bay uh, as we taped this two days ago for the great Packers comeback over the Saints. And anyone watching on Fox, they heard my voice. They heard Jonathan Vilma and Shannon Spake, our sideline reporter. We were the three voices, the three faces. But there were 75 other people there involved, men and women, in getting that broadcast on the air. The producer, the director, the associate director, uh, the graphics folks, the replay folks, the 10 or 12 camera men and women, uh, the person who puts up the first down line, the person who handles what's called the Fox box, the score and the time in the upper left-hand corner. So um, I emphasize doing as much as you can, even if it's not the exact area that you want to get into. I talk about all of the jobs that are there behind the scenes. And also a lot of these uh, conferences now, the ACC, the Big Ten, the Big East, they have their own networks. And yes, the men's basketball, the women's basketball, the football games are on whether it's ESPN, NBC, CBS, Fox, ABC, but a lot of the other sports. uh, I have friends whose kids went to Maryland and Penn State, and they were involved during their college years in broadcasting or working behind the scenes on these uh, great networks around the country. Your advice matches up to what I say to kids. Just go do things. Try things. Go meet people. You have four years in college, right, where you are – off for the summer, go do different internships every summer with different outlets. If this is what you want to do, go try things, go do things, go meet people. And you just don't know where it's going to go because of all the opportunities. See, you sounds like you took the initiative to get into this business. And I would have thought you being the son of the legendary Marv Albert, that that would have created some sort of pathway for you through osmosis. You would have picked up all that you did from your father and that he might've helped you get some of these opportunities initially to open the door, but that didn't happen. Well, osmosis is a word that I use all the time. Um, I think back and have so many great memories of my childhood. And I write about a lot of them in the book. Uh, When I was five, my parents gave me a tape recorder for my birthday and I set up my bedroom like a studio. I had the desk and then the uh, bed in the middle and the TV. And I would announce games into the tape recorder when I was five, six, seven years old. When I was old enough, I would bring it to Madison Square Garden, Shea Stadium, sit in an empty section and and call the game. When I was about 14 or 15, I would start tagging along to do stats with him, with my father. Now, I also went on road trips earlier, and I would go with him to WNBC. He did the 6 and 11 o'clock sports, the Knicks, the Rangers, football on the weekends, boxing. So I felt like I had uh, such a great teacher. Um, And it wasn't like he would sit down and give me lesson plans, but I would learn via osmosis, watching him at home or in a hotel room, uh, doing the homework until midnight or one in the morning prior to a game. Um, And then when I started doing stats with him, uh, you can't even place a value on that. Uh, Being in the broadcast booth, listening to the announcers, uh, sitting in production meetings, listening to the communication between the announcers and the producers. So it wasn't so much him necessarily opening doors 
Um, he did introduce me to a lot of people, but it was mostly what I learned via osmosis and then putting it into practice. And I tried to do as much as I can. I, I mentioned the sports writing and then calling all these games in, in, in high school and then in college at NYU calling men's and women's basketball and internships. Um, I was Howie Rose's associate producer on Mets Extra. Wow. 87, 88, wow. 89. Yeah. Um, the great Howie Rose, longtime hockey and baseball broadcaster, one of the best in the business. So um, when WFAN first started, I was at Shea Stadium at all the Mets home games, working with Howie, uh, passing along the names of phone callers and arranging guests. So when I think back, just learned so much during during those years as well. And I was also handling the stats at MSG and then uh, sent sent a lot of tapes around. My goal at the time was hockey on the radio. And I was very fortunate to get hired in Baltimore, uh, a team called the Skipjacks. They were the Washington Capitals minor league affiliate at the time. And I was hired in, in June of 1990, spent two seasons there. And my main gig was the radio. I called 80 games a year for the two years. But at that level, as you know, you do anything that they ask, sales, marketing, uh, promotions, go pick up a player at the airport. And we would take six, eight, 10 hour bus rides to the games, but I wouldn't trade those two years in for anything, learning at that level. And uh, it was just such a great experience. And then so many of our lives changed. Uh, and I'm talking about play-by-play -play broadcasters, color analysts, production people. When Rupert Murdoch made a crazy bid for the NFC package late in 1993, um, a bunch of us were asked to go out for auditions a couple of months later. You know, never in any of our wildest dreams did we expect to be calling NFL games at all on network television, let alone at the age of 26. In my case, Joe Buck was 25. Tom Brenneman and Kevin Harlan were in their late 20s, early 30s. We were the four play-by-play -play announcers hired by Fox for that 1994 season. Obviously, they hired Pat Summerall and John Madden, legend, and then Dick Stockton and Matt Millen, a great second crew that came over from CBS. But they decided they wanted to hire younger uh, folks for the other four crews, and we were all the beneficiaries. So if Rupert Murdoch, who just announced his retirement last week, doesn't, again, make this crazy bid for the NFC, uh, none of us would be where we are today. And I'm so proud uh, to say that it's season number 30 for me. Joe's had a Hall of Fame, one of the best careers of all time in broadcasting, now one of your colleagues. Uh, Kevin Harlan, great career between CBS, Turner, Fox in the early years, and Tom Brenneman was at Fox for 25-plus years. So, uh, again, very proud to be a member of that class of 94 at Fox Sports. I want to go back to your childhood for a moment. Your father was one of my idols growing up, and you would get to hear him in your own home and in hotel rooms and as a statistician, but I can't tell you the amount of times – I went to bed with the radio under my pillow. My parents told me I had to go to bed, and it was my bedtime. And I would listen to your dad call Nick's games with Bernard King lighting it up. That That's what I remember of my youth. Marvin Webster, Larry Demick, uh, Michael Ray Richardson, all those great players, right? I loved that back in the day. And I also loved Dick Schaap, Jeremy's father. And I've been very curious over the years to ask Jeremy about his dad and the experiences he had. How many of us grew up around Reggie Jackson and Muhammad Ali? Are there experiences from your childhood that stand out like that of athletes that I would have been too tongue-tied to even talk around who were a part of your childhood, a regular part of your childhood, Kenny? Larry Demick, number 42. 
first-round draft pick, great rebounder, right? Yep, yep. <laughs> Webster, I have a picture with Marvin Webster from my youth. Um, oh, man. Similar, similar to Jeremy, and I met him a few times as kids, but uh, now in recent years, we've been to a number of charity events and different functions together, so it's always great. Uh, reminiscing with him about some of those memories, but and he's got a great memory about it. He remembers everything. He does. He does. And and uh, um, yeah, as a childhood, uh, as far as childhood memories, um, you know, you probably won't believe this, but Doctor J came to our house a couple of times. Oh my! See, her. like, and that was my favorite player. Oh my god! Now he lived. He lived on Long Island at the time. He had played for the Nets and the ABA, and I think even in his early years with the Sixers, he stayed on Long Island in the off season. I write in my book, my mother actually beat Julius Irving in a game of horse at his house. I was there to witness it. She hit a shot from the corner to win it, to beat Dr. J in horse. Um, Phil Jackson came to our house a few times back when he was still playing uh, with the Knicks. I remember playing two-on-one basketball with a friend of mine, Dale DeLeo, against Phil Jackson. Uh, some hockey players, Dave Maloney, who's my partner on Rangers Radio to this day, last 19 years, he was – friends with my father during his years as captain of the Rangers, uh, Chico Resch, Dave Jennings, the late great punter from the Giants. They were all friends of his and came to the house on occasion. And I also met Reggie Jackson. Jeremy might have been there this day. Um, I have a picture on my wall behind me. I was about 10 years old, and I, I think the picture's in the book. But my father and Dick Schaap together went to Reggie's apartment to do an interview. And uh, – I tagged along that day, and Reggie actually gave me a baseball and signed it for me. Wow. Was it difficult growing up the son of Marv Albert? Not at all. I think it was 99% positive. I got to go to all these games and learn and keep stats. And to me, it was the norm. I didn't know anything different. Um, my friends would would come to the games with me. And uh, like I said, you know, in high school, they would, they would help out as color analysts. But, you know, it wasn't the norm. And it's similar to – my life as a professional, um, I'm away uh, almost every weekend. And when he was doing the 6 and 11 o'clock news, I would wake up for school. He would be sleeping. Um, he would probably leave at 12 or 1 o'clock for 30 Rock and then do the 6 o'clock sports and then a Knicker Ranger game in between and go back and not get home until 1230 a.m. So we didn't see him very much during the week. He was home a little more than I am on weekends, not during football, but other times of the year he was. But I thought it was great. I, I got to go to these games. I would tag along to Channel 4. I would I would pull the wire copy off the UPI and AP machines for him. <laughs> I would type my own scripts uh, on, on a manual typewriter with carbon paper that they used to use. So um, I enjoyed every second of it. Uh, again, you know, friends might have had their both parents home for dinner every night. Uh, I never really did, but uh, there were so many other perks. And then when I started working and then my kids are now 24 and 20 but it was somewhat similar um away just about every weekend i think i was home a little more during the week because he was doing the six and eleven o'clock sports i wasn't doing that um i would have a lot of night games at the garden sometimes travel during the week but i would try to drive to school pick up from school as much as possible go to weekday activities um my older daughter took a a, a sports type class at a local jcc on Mondays, this is back in 2000 or 2001. And I remember I would take her every Monday as long as I was home. And there would be 12 or 13 moms there probably wondering who is this guy that doesn't work. But I was the one that was away Friday through Sunday every week. Yeah. Well, these are the jobs that we have, right? Irregular hours, 
lead you to do certain things during the day that other fathers wouldn't get to do sometimes, right? But then there are other things that we just miss out on because we're not there. Right. And I, I've always felt, and and my wife's been great about it since the day we first met, and, and my kids have uh, grown up with it and totally understand the routine, but um, I never feel like I'm going to work. And I feel like I'm so fortunate. There's a lot of travel and a lot of work involved, prep work for an NFL game, 20, 30, 40 hours a week, including the meetings that we have with the teams on Fridays and Saturdays and our own production meetings. But I just feel so lucky. I never feel like I'm going to work. Um, I'm not sitting at a desk doing something I hate. Um, the kids, similar to when I was younger, they've tagged along. Uh, I worked a Pro Bowl in Hawaii back in 2008. My kids were eight and five. They got to come along to that. They, they've been to a Super Bowl. They've been to Stanley Cup final. Um, some of the you know, spring break or late December vacations aren't the norm. Uh, they've been to Pittsburgh and Buffalo. And, and not, not, I love those cities. And Pittsburgh is one of the most underrated cities in America. But that's not where most people are going during their April break, but it was the hockey playoffs. So that was where the family uh, tagged along to. You know, I was doing occasionally an NBA sideline reporting gig because I just like to do that. And my daughter had off for winter break and they assigned me, it just so happened to be, to a game in Minneapolis between the Timberwolves and I don't remember who they played. It doesn't really matter who they played, but we got off the plane. My daughter, this had to be four years ago. My daughter would have been about 10 years old. We walked up the plane. And the first thing she said to me when she felt a blast of cold air rushed through the airplane, why, why couldn't we go to Florida? And I said, well, welcome to Minnesota. This is where we're at. And so these are the sort of adventures and experiences that our children are exposed to. You mentioned the NFL. Your 30th season, coming into the season, you had called 476 NFL games. We're coming up on 500 here pretty soon, Kenny. You've worked with 15 Hall of Fame broadcasters. What stands out about working with so many men who made such a mark in the sport? Well, I have so many stories, but just getting back to your previous point, um, my wife, Barbara, who I mentioned right from day one, has totally understood the schedule. She's probably the only one that understands my schedule. We spent our first anniversary in Sacramento. I was calling a WNBA <laughs> game between the Liberty and the Monarchs back in 1997. So that's yeah. where that's where we were for the first anniversary. But getting back to the NFL, um, again, hard to believe it's 30 years. I remember the first game like it was yesterday. It was 9-4-94. It was the L.A. Rams the year before they moved to St. Louis against the Arizona Cardinals. And I'll never forget how nervous I was in production meetings with Buddy Ryan and Chuck Knox. I'm 26. My analyst, Ron Pitts, was in his early 30s. Uh, they were probably looking at us, you know, who are these guys? What are we What are we doing? What are we wasting our time for? But um, uh, Jerome Bettis scored a touchdown in that game for the Rams. Todd Light returned a fumble for a touchdown. It was a 14-12 final score, uh, Rams and Cardinals in Anaheim. But 30 years, so many memories. Uh, worked with Ron Pitts the first year, uh, the son of the great Elijah Pitts, Green Bay Packer, back in the uh, early days, first couple of Super Bowls. Um, Anthony Munoz in 95, Hall of Famer, such a great person. I'll never forget, we were in Green Bay, Reggie White stopping practice to walk over and pay respects to Anthony Munoz. Um, seven wonderful years with Tim Green. And I just visited with Tim a couple of weeks ago. I'm sure a lot of the listeners are aware of his story, uh, battling ALS, but has such a positive attitude. And he's a remarkable person. 
NFL linebacker for eight years, defensive end, long TV career. And the whole time, he's also uh, an author and a lawyer. He's written 40 books. So just just a remarkable person. Uh, four years with Brian Baldinger, one of my favorites. Um, and then 10 years with Moose Johnston, the first eight of them with Tony Saragusa. Uh, people might remember us as Kenny Moose and Goose. And there are a lot of stories from those years. Um, you know, we lost Goose last year, also one of my favorite people. And um, there might be more stories about Goose in the book than, than any other analyst I've worked with uh, because he never wanted to sit still on a Saturday morning in the hotel before we had our meetings in the afternoon. It was always some kind of activity. There are five or six things that I've done only once in my life, and they were all with Goose, whether, <laughs> whether it was uh, riding around in a race car at 150 miles per hour, petting baby alligators on a swamp boat tour in Louisiana. The only time I ever shot a gun at a driving range. I can go on and on. But those, <laughs> those experiences were all with uh, Daryl Johnston and Tony Saragusa. Uh, Hall of Famer Rondé Barber for three years. And you might not believe this, but I've never, I was never in Canton, Ohio until this past August. Wow. I went for Rondé's induction. Wow. It was a great weekend. And now, uh, year four with Jonathan Vilma, who's doing a great job, the Super Bowl champion. But I've also worked, you mentioned 15 Hall of Famers. I've worked, you know, anywhere between one and 10 games with uh, Troy Aikman and Terrell Davis, Dan Fouts, Joe Namath, Howie Long, Terry Bradshaw, Kellen Winslow. I know I'm forgetting a couple, but uh, I can say there's ever been a color analyst that I didn't enjoy working with. One of the games that Stands out in my mind among all of the events that I've worked, um, the Sugar Bowl, Notre Dame, LSU, Brady Quinn, Jamarcus Russell with the quarterbacks, 2007, and, and Terry and Howie were my, were my partners in the booth for that game. And it was just an unbelievable experience working with those guys. Uh, we got together a couple of weeks before. We did some rehearsal games off monitors, and um, I think about that 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 broadcast often. Um, five divisional playoff games with Moose and Goose. Uh, we had, you might remember, San Francisco, New Orleans, January 2012. Um, Alex Smith, uh, Drew Brees, Vernon Davis, the game-winning touchdown, four touchdowns the last four minutes. We also worked one in 2008, uh, the divisional in Green Bay against Seattle. It turned out it was Brett Favre's last win as a Packer. And it was a night game, and it was snowing, and it, it looked great on television, so... Um, those are just a couple of the memorable games through the years. You called the game last year where there was the lateral from the Patriots that Chandler Jones intercepted and ran in. What stands out about that particular play? Yeah, that was crazy because it was tied. So you expect if the Patriots were losing to start flipping the ball back, you know, the laterals. But so at first I'm thinking to myself, what are they doing? It was a tie game. They were going to overtime and they weren't anywhere close to the end zone. Um, during the play, I actually used the line, the Stanford band is nowhere in sight. <laughs> and I've actually thrown that out there a couple of times before, but nothing really came of those plays. But uh, it seems like this time people noticed. And then Chandler Jones returns it. And uh, Jonathan Vilma behind me just, you know, yelling, wow, you know, this is unbelievable. Um, just a spontaneous reaction. So that was one of the crazier ones. I also had uh, other moments in games that you would probably remember, uh, the listeners as well, Terrell Owens stopping yeah. on the Cowboys star. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that one. What do you remember yeah, about that? that? One. Uh, Michael Vick 
overtime in Minnesota, 46 yards, zigzagging his way up the field. 173 yards rushing that day. Yep, out the tunnel. Um, Bill Cowher in 95, shoving a Polaroid in, in yep. the shirt pocket of referee Gordon McCarter. Um, I had the only <laughs> 8-5 final in NFL history. I had the only punter-kicker touchdown pass a couple of years ago. You had the Jim Harbaugh, Jim Often, Schwartz fight at midfield. Jim Harbaugh, Jim Schwartz handshake that almost turned into a fight. So <laughs> I guess when you're doing it for 30 years, there are a lot of moments that stand out. Wait, let's go back to that line that the Stanford band is nowhere in sight. That came to you or you had it in your mind in the event that anything like that should ever happen? I've used it a couple of times in the past when a team starts lateraling on the last play. <laughs> but normally they get tackled right away and everybody kind of forgets about it. But this one, I guess, because... Because the play went viral on social media and the commentary was out there with it, I think people yeah. uh, took notice of that one. It was an unbelievable call. It's a memorable line. It was an incredible play. And it, I guess it matches up to everything that you've gotten to call throughout the course of your career. So what is left in this decorated career of yours? What is there that you still would like to do and accomplish, Kenny? Well, I get, I get that question often, and I'm so fortunate, again, um, that the networks I work for happen to have multiple sports, football and baseball with Fox. I've done hockey, college basketball, boxing, horse racing through the years on Fox, um, basketball and hockey with MSG, and then hockey with TNT and NBC for many years in the Olympics. Um, you know, again, real lucky I've called one Super Bowl on the world feed, the international call with Joe Theismann, Super Bowl Forty Six which was not on in the United States, but it was on everywhere else, mm -hmm. um, have called uh, the, two of the last three Stanley Cup finals on television, one on NBC, one on TNT, and uh, work with a great crew at Turner, Eddie Olchek and Brian Boucher, replacing Keith Jones, who's now the president of the Flyers, all tremendous broadcasters and great friends, um, have called some playoff baseball games, the Bautista home run and bat flip, yeah. yep. one I get asked about a lot back in 2015. So, again, real lucky to be involved in in so many of the big events. Um, you know, would love to call playoff football again. Uh, we were part of that rotation for five years with Moose and Goose. Uh, you know, calling a Super Bowl for a play-by-play -play broadcaster is, is definitely at the top of the list. And like I said, called one, the world feed. Uh, would love for that to happen again, you know, someday in the future. Uh, with TNT, we'll have the Stanley Cup final again in 2025. And uh, just – Love what I do. Never feel like I'm going to work. Love the preparation. Um, when you asked about advice earlier to youngsters, the other big one is read as much as you can. And I know kids in this generation, I have two that are 20 and 24. A lot of it is reading on the phone, you know, different sites and, and social media sites. And that's great. I mean, I'm on Twitter. I, I gain so much information by looking at Twitter each and every day. Um, but I'm still proud to say that I read five newspapers a day. Wow. Actual paper or the iPad version. I'm not just clicking on articles. I'm reading you know, the New York Post on the iPad. It looks like the New York Post. So I'm reading it as if I'm reading the actual newspaper. I just feel like if I don't, I'm missing something. There might be a little nugget out there of information. Um, I'm constantly reading. And I think that's something to the young generation that they probably don't do as much as we did when we were growing up and even during our professional careers. So it, it actually bothers me if I. I don't usually miss a day. Sometimes I'll go back the next day and read the previous day's uh, newspapers, for example. And I'm also reading a lot of other stuff on the Internet. Yeah. Um, the clips from each city and other publications that we get from the teams and the leagues. But 
I, I just feel like if I don't read the actual newspaper, you're missing something because otherwise you're only clicking on the things that you want to see. Back when I was in college, I used to send letters to my favorite reporters and columnists and writers and ask everybody for advice. And the ones that responded, and many of them did, some didn't, but the ones who did always had the same exact advice. Read, read, and read some more. Read 30 minutes a day. And I made that a habit all through college and after college to try to read. I think it's harder now. I think my attention deficit has decreased quite a bit. And and the world that I'm living in is so frenetic and chaotic and things just pop up that I have a hard time focusing now the way I did when I was younger and a newspaper reporter. But reading was, I think, vital and something that every great writer that I reached out to recommended that I do. It's huge. You know, in a broadcast, you never know what might come up during a game. Even though we're only focusing on the two teams, you have to have that knowledge about the rest of the league. And I always, believe it or not, I look forward to plane rides because I, I get so much more done. There are no distractions. The phone's not ringing. You don't have anywhere to go, anything to pick up. So uh, on a three-hour plane trip, I can do so much more reading than I would in a full day at home. I'm curious, what's the greatest change in the business that you've seen through the years and all the years that you've done this? Well, there's so much change, you know, as far as the technology and what, what the viewers see on television and how they can watch games, frankly. Um, when we were growing up, in New York, right? In the New York area, it was seven channels, two, four, five, seven, nine, 11, and 13. We didn't have cable until I was about 17 years old. So yeah. I was a big radio listener. Now you can watch any game you want in any sport on your phone, live or on tape. So that's probably a huge change. Mm -hmm. A lot of change as far as how I prepare. When I think back to the first year of Fox, for example, in 94, they used to send us VHS tapes of each team's previous game. They had to make the copies on Monday, send them out on Tuesday. I get a FedEx package on Wednesday. Now, for the last 25-plus years, I've taped games off DirecTV. Uh, this year, it's gone to YouTube. But the NFL Plus, which anybody can sign up for, fans or media, you can watch any game at any time. Uh, my first year, we were getting articles from both cities faxed. Yeah. I used to buy these rolls of fax paper. You probably wrote some of the articles I was reading. <laughs> and 40 pages would spill out of the fax machine every day. Now, email, internet, one click, you have everything right there. So there's almost, there's too much information. I mean, you could you could spend 24-7 going through it all, so you have to kind of know how to edit it down. Um, you know, on a typical football week for me, starting on a Monday, I have a checklist of, of about 10 different things that I do, and it involves watching each team's previous game, reviewing our previous game, yeah. reading every day, preparing charts, statistics, uh, going through press releases and media guides. And then Friday, we usually go to the home team practice, sit down with four or five players slash coaches. We do the same thing with the visiting team on Saturday. Uh, once in a while, we'll do it on Zoom. You know, started doing that during COVID, but we always like to meet with the team in person the first time each season. So uh, there's a lot that goes into it. I tell these youngsters – we don't just show up at 12.59 on Sunday. It's work during the week, but as I alluded to earlier, it's fun work. Well, the new book is coming out on October 10th, A Mike for All Seasons, my three decades announcing the NFL, NHL, NBA, MLB, and Olympics. And I wish you the best of luck with the book. It's to be an exciting time. You obviously have the book in your hands, but when you see it go public and see the reaction and see what happens when people read it and give you feedback, it's very exciting. A book is a major undertaking there, Kenny, as you know. Well, thanks, Adam. I really appreciate it. Can't wait for it to officially come out in the public October 10th. Uh, 
Uh, thanks for the time. Thanks for having me on. Big fan for a long time, and Likewise. glad we got to chat. <laughs> nice to meet over Zoom. Hopefully, we get the chance to do it in person one day. And I wish you the best of luck with the book, Kenny. Absolutely. You too. Have a great season. And so we wish Kenny Albert the best of luck with his new book. Writing a new book is not an easy task. Kenny Albert now has gotten that out of the way so he can move on to his job calling every other sport and every other night of his life <laughs> while trying to be involved in his family. And we will begin to move ahead into other areas. And I am so glad I have Daniel Dopp with me today because, Daniel, we did the NBA basketball war room lottery this past week in the middle of the football game, Sunday afternoon, about three o'clock. And Heck you yeah. drew the number one overall pick in the NBA draft that we will have amongst our ESPN colleagues. I want to break the news here. Who are we projecting to go number one? Should be a simple no-brainer decision, but I just want to be on the record here about who you're thinking of taking. I got to tell you, this one is really difficult for me no, because, I, I mean, I realize it shouldn't be. I mean, you I can't go take Cade Cunningham or the Pistons at one. I Daniel. know. I want to. I want to, though, Adam. Come on. No, I got to go. I got to go with the Joker here. How can I not course, take Nikola Jokic? I mean, the dude is unbelievable. Should have won MVP, in my opinion, last year. How do I not go with that guy? He does everything and he does it well. He is literally the Kenny Albert of basketball players. Kenny Albert's exceptional, and Nikola Jokic is next level. He yes. is unbelievable. He was the center foundational piece of the Persources squad that won a ring back in 2021, I believe. Out of three year, three rings in four years, they blend wow. together a little bit. Oh you're, oh, you're the New England Patriots of fantasy basketball, Adam. We get it. Exactly. If you grew up rooting for Persources in the NBA War Room League, You've had quite a run here. The a last very good years. run. <laughs> a very good run. But it's up to you now with the number one overall pick to turn that around. We will hold our draft a week from Wednesday night, Wednesday, October 18th, and look forward to that happening. Daniel, want to thank you for the weekly six-pack for bringing along your seltzers. You know what? We're going to have our producers, Christina Buswell and Sarah Abbott, now shop out sponsors, a weekly sponsor for the six-pack. Right? Shouldn't somebody want to endorse our six packs before we delve into all this information, like Devon A. Chain being out for multiple weeks and Justin Jefferson going on IR? Don't we want that? I absolutely want that, Adam. By the way, are you talking about my six pack, the one that I have, or the uh, are you talking about a six pack like a uh, one that I get from the fridge? Because if someone wants to sponsor my six pack for my yeah, tummy yeah. as well, I'll put a tattoo on that and sponsor it for anybody. I just wanted you to know that. Well, we're talking about the fridge, Dang. But okay, over you. the fridge. Okay, all right. Yeah. Sorry about that. All, all right. right, I want to thank. Daniel Dopp for providing us with the six-pack. I want to thank my great producers, Christina Buswell, Sarah Abbott. I want to thank Kenny Albert and wish him the best of luck with his new book, as well as you, the listener, for tuning in to another Adam Schefter podcast. Please join us again next week when we are scheduled to be joined by the former all-time great Seattle Seahawks wide receiver, the intellectual, the brilliant Doug Baldwin. Until then, have a great week, be well, and stay safe. Stay safe.